Father, as we open your word, I pray that we would have hearts to, to hear it. So God, we ask that you truly would open up our ears and open our eyes to see what you want us to see. We thank you for your word that is sufficient. We thank you, God, that it gives us everything that we need. And I pray today as we look to you and as we respond to your word, I pray we would truly look to our hearts and we would be humble and open to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, if you'd open it up to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to continue in our series, Don't Be Ashamed. And we've been looking at several different reminders to Timothy as to why he should live unashamed. And I want to review those with you just a little bit as we get started, just so we can be on the same page. This whole section starts around verse 3, and I think it goes all the way down to the end of the chapter. And, and when we've been going through this, I, I told you there were six reminders, and we've only gotten a number four so far, but uh, since then I've added one, so there's seven reminders. So uh, if I hadn't told you, maybe you wouldn't have caught it, but I'll just, full disclosure. The first one that we saw was... Timothy, remember your faith. And he starts out in verse 3, and he says, he starts talking about how he's thankful for him. And in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And he says in verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So we started out and we said, hey, the first reminder that Paul gives to his young son in the faith, he says, Timothy, remember your faith. But second of all, Timothy, remember your gift. Remember your gift. And he, he speaks to him about the gift that God had given him that was, we read in verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands you know, amazing because he's saying, Timothy, remember your faith, remember your gift. Thirdly, remember his resources. Remember his resources, Timothy. God doesn't give a spirit of fear, but what he gives us because of his son, the Lord Jesus, is he gives us a spirit of power and love and self-control. Timothy, remember your faith, remember your gift, remember his resources. But then last time, we looked at remember his purpose. If you're going to live unashamed, you have to remember God's eternal purpose for us in Christ. You know, when, when I'm tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, I'm tempted to think about, you know, wow, what are people going to think of me? What are people going, how are people going to react? Am I going to be looked at like an oddball? I'm going to be made fun of, whatever it may be. But when we get our eyes on the reality of what God has done for us, and we think about the purpose that he has that goes back to eternity past, and he goes into this. He says in verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. And when did he give that to us? Paul says, before the ages began. 
and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then Paul says, For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. And then he says in verse 12, Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Where we're headed next is, again, remember your faith, remember his gift, remember your gifts, remember his resources, remember his purpose. And today we're going to jump into remember his faithfulness. We may go further, remember the sound words. And number seven, the final one up to verse 18, remember Onesiphorus. Remember Onesiphorus. Remember his faithfulness. He says, Timothy, I love this because very likely Paul's in his 60s. Timothy's in his 30s. He's writing the last letter of his life. And he's saying, Timothy, understand something. Son, he says, you know, this gospel is so precious. It's the reason that I am suffering But then he says, Timothy, I want you to remember something. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is uh, just amazing words from the Apostle Paul. He says, I know whom I have believed. There's a passage in the book of Psalm that I, I really love. And, and it really hits the heart of this. The psalmist says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I know whom I have believed. I want you to think about the life of Paul, and I want you to think about his conversion story. Can you imagine, and we've talked about, you know, when, when you're in situations where people ask you about your faith or if you have a conversation on a, on a, uh, a bus or on a uh, plane. I guess not many people are on trains anymore. I was looking at a luxury train in Japan, and I was like, I don't really want to be on trains, but I want to be on that train. It was nice. And, uh, but if you're sitting there and somebody asks you questions about your life, and if somebody said, tell me about your Christianity, can you imagine somebody asking the Apostle Paul, well, I was a... Uh, I was determined to stamp out the way. I was determined to take into my own hands out of my zealousness for Judaism. 
I wanted to stamp out all Christianity. And what happened was, as I went on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to me. He appeared to me. Can you imagine how interesting the story would have grown in your heart and in your mind? And then how he could have told you about how Ananias was used by God in his life and how later he went to Arabia and how not only had God revealed to him the gospel, but there's this period even while he's in Arabia where he is ministered to by the Lord Jesus. And he did not just preach about Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus Christ. He loved Jesus Christ. When he says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, he had given up all things for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus to the point to where he could say, the things that I once valued and I once put as assets in my life, now these are no longer the value of my life. Christ Jesus is the value of my life. And he knew him and walked with him. And loved him. I'll read to you that passage in Philippians, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, it's one thing to say this to somebody, it's another thing to write it on your deathbed. It's another thing to write it from a prison. And even later, when we think about Onesiphorus and how he had to earnestly seek out where Paul was in Rome, it suggests a unique type of prison in Rome that Paul was actually in, one that was hard to find, possibly a military prison is what some scholars believe. But here he is on his deathbed, so to speak, and he is writing literally having counted as lost all things for the sake of Christ. And now he's writing as the one he knew so dearly, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying, Timothy, I know whom I've believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. When we look at this, he goes on in Philippians. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I know whom I have believed. He uses a lot of perfect tense verbs here. And, and, and the only reason I tell you that is because I think it's so, it has so much of a picture you can grab onto it. A, a perfect tense in the Greek is an action in the past with continuous results into the present. I know whom I have believed and continue to believe. And I am convinced. I was convinced back then, Timothy, but I've lived convinced all the way to this present time. I know what God has done, and I'm convinced that he's going to do what he says he will do. I believed, you know, that's such a term that, that Paul uses faith over and over and over. It's literally the idea of believing in someone. It's the idea of being persuaded by someone. Paul says, I've believed. I was thinking about all the different passages where he used this, this term in the Greek, and one that I think will resonate with you. 
I mean, Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And he gets into this next part. He goes, Timothy, I know whom I've believed, and I am persuaded, I am convinced. It's similar to the word we just looked at, faith. It it comes, it's very closely related. And, And this word, again, is in the perfect. I'm convinced, Timothy. I'm persuaded. I'm absolutely persuaded that he is able. I am convinced that he is able. I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I I, I love this. Um, I'm convinced that he is able. When you look at that phrase, able, it it, it's it's the noun form here, but it's similar to the word spirit of power. And and to give you an idea of, of some of the uses of this word in Romans 4, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, speaking of Abram, and or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And why was this? Fully convinced that God was what? Able. He was able. You know, when we walk with God, we grow in trusting that he has the ability to deliver on his word. Mary, after she heard the amazing announcement, as she praises God, she says, for he who is mighty, that's that word able, has done great things for me. And Paul uses this term other places, 2 Corinthians, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. I'm convinced that he is able to guard now, now, when we keep moving here, it's interesting. The word guard means to, uh, to watch. It's, it's a military term, and it means um, that it's like a soldier on watch. And, and here's where we get into an interpretive dilemma, uh, and it's one that's exciting to look through. And depending on which translation you have, um, you could go different ways with this. Um, I'll give you an example. The New American Standard says, For this reason I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Did you catch the difference in the English Standard Version? It's a different approach. They see this, and they look at the words here, and they believe what it's saying is, for I know whom I've believed, I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Which one is it? Well, it, it, I think it, either way you go, the principle is an either or it's or a both and. It's not an either or. It's a both and because 
But, but what we're going to find in verse 12, 13, and 14, I, my gut feeling here, I believe that, that the New American Standard gets this right because he's going to cover the second part in verse 13 and 14. And I think what he's saying is, you remember that old song? If I could sing right now, I'd be like one of those old Southern Baptists start singing from the pulpit. I can't do that, though. Remember the, the hymn, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. So when I read the word believed, I almost read it believed because <laughs> I was thinking of that song. I was like, wait a minute, I just said believed. You can hear Southern English, but that's a little weird, believed. The, uh, but, but I think what he's saying here is he's saying, Timothy, I know whom I've believed. I'm convinced, you know, here, I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted unto him. Again, we're going to see, if you think it's the other one, we're going to see that too. So either way, this is, to, to get a heartbeat of this, go to 2 Timothy 4. I know we're, we're going to cover chapter 4 when we get to chapter 4. But you got to see, you can't miss the forest from the trees here. Paul is, is, is right at the end. And look down at verse uh, 16 of chapter 4. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. What appears to be going on here is that Paul is before a, like a preliminary hearing before the courts of Nero. Nero, the one who burnt the city of Rome, the one who would take Christians and light them on fire to give light at his parties. So, so he's going before. And when you would go at a preliminary hearing, you had the ability to call witnesses. People could speak on your defense. I mean you'd think that people would be lining up to speak on behalf of the Apostle Paul, the one who had counted as lost all things. But what does he say? He says, at my first offense, no one stood, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. We think it's a reference to Nero. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Who says that? The one who believes wholeheartedly. I know whom I've believed and I am persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. The one who believes that God will deliver on his promises, the one who believes that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and think about, he, he's writing this not just as a statement of belief or a statement of testimony, he's writing this to a young pastor who's tempted to waver who's tempted to be fearful. And here he is. I mean, he's on his deathbed. He's in a prison, and he's saying, Timothy, I know whom I've believed. I'm convinced he's able to guard everything all the way to the end until that day appears to be a reference maybe to Philippians 1.10 when he speaks about the day of Christ. It's a judgment of rewards. 
that Paul had confidence that God would deliver according to his promise. This morning, if you're going to live unashamed, you've got to know the God of the word. When we went looked at that passage in, in Psalm, the question that I think is worth asking is, do you know him? Because if you know him, you're not going to trust him unless you know him. Not know about him. And remember like the uniqueness of the word know in the New Testament. It's, it's a knowledge that's not just a factual knowledge, informational knowledge. It's a knowledge, it's, it's a walk it's a fellowship, and, and those who know God put their trust in him. And so one of the things that we can remember about being unashamed is that if we're going to live unashamed, we're called to walk with him and know him. And as we walk with him and know him, we grow deeper into the knowledge of his character, and we stand firm on the promises of what he's given us. And that's what Paul is getting at. But you know what? It wasn't just remember his faithfulness, Timothy. He gets into another part here. Remember the sound words. Remember the sound words. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. There's three major verbs here, starting in verse 8. He says, don't be ashamed. When you get down to verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words. That's the number two phrase. Number three is in verse 14. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And I, I, I believe after studying this that, that following the pattern of the sound words is equivalent to guarding the good deposit. Following the pattern of the sound words is equivalent to guarding the good deposit. Let's, let's walk through this. He says, follow the pattern of of the sound words that you have heard from me. Remember the sound words, Timothy. When we look at this pattern of sound words, follow, what does that mean? Retain, it means retain, it means to, to have, it means to hold. It's, it's a present tense. It's a command. It's, it's ongoing. Continue to follow the pattern of the sound words. Again, you know, the most immediate application would be obviously to Timothy. And then you get into the, the, the ministerial, the pastoral epistles, so, so to speak, the pastoral application. But I really believe this goes beyond Timothy and the pastor, but this is the heartbeat God calls all believers to, to follow the pattern of the sound words that we have heard from him, from Paul. But you say, wait a minute, Timothy had unique opportunity. I mean, Timothy was with Paul, and we looked at it when we started the letter, like 17 years had elapsed from the time that he was 
called out of Lystra to accompany Paul. So from 50 to 67 AD, it was about the time that most people guess that he writes this letter. 17 years. Can you imagine how many times in his journeys with Paul that he heard him preach? I mean, he probably, I mean, he heard him preach. Paul could probably start a finish, start a sentence, and Timothy could finish it. I mean, he he knew his doctrine, he knew his teaching, he knew his life. And so he's telling him, he's saying, look, you've got to follow the pattern of the sound words. Again, remember something, we're in the apostolic age here. I know people think differently about this in the church. I firmly believe that the apostolic age is unique. It's unique. To be an apostle in the New Testament sense, you had to literally witness the resurrection Paul was an apostle because he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though the word apostle can be used as messenger in a generic sense, and I think there's a place for that, if you talk about are there modern-day apostles, I would argue not like this, not like this. These men witnessed the resurrection. These men were used by the Holy Spirit to do what? To write that which was equivalent to Scripture. They were writing Scripture. We see that in the writings of Paul. So, so we have to think about that because we're in the apostolic age if we enter into the story here. And he's saying, look, he's saying, follow the pattern, man. Stay with it. And what did we learn in Titus? We learned that that word sound is huge in Pauline pastoral language, the sound words. The sound words mean that which is healthy. Not all that is taught is healthy doctrine. Healthy doctrine leads to healthy living. That's the whole premise of Titus chapter 2. And so, so what is he doing here? Paul not only wrote down what God gave him that would be scripture, but Paul spoke in a way that was consistent with what God had revealed to him. So what is he trying to say here? He's saying, look, basically emulate my life and practice because when I preach God's word, I'm preaching consistent with the standard of God's word. And you do the same thing, Timothy. You do the same thing. Follow it with all your heart. Follow the pattern of the sound words. The word pattern, it seems to most likely mean model or example. Follow the model. Follow the example. Again, it's apostolic. It was given by God. It, it, you know, when we think about Paul's writings, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 the apostle Peter says what about Paul's writings? He says there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. What does that mean? Not only is Paul's, if you've ever been confused with Paul, Peter would acknowledge the same understanding of that. So that's comforting. But he also refers to Paul's writings as scripture here. They, people distort this as they do the other scriptures. So what is the ultimate standard of these sound or healthy words? It is in the canon of scripture. And this is important 
Because one thing we have to understand, and this gets into like what we're dealing with on Sunday nights in our Roman Catholic class, and one thing I would make sure we all understand, apostolic teaching was never in conflict with apostolic writing. Apostolic writing is the only way we for sure can measure the standard of what Paul preached and what he wrote. So how do we look at this? We know that God gave us in Scripture that which is sufficient for life and godliness. And that's why later in this letter, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture alone is sufficient to equip us for every good work. Timothy, follow the pattern that you've heard from me. Follow it with all your heart. Follow the sound words. So we'll keep going here. It reminds us, look over one chapter real quick. Go, go like a few verses ahead of it, the second Timothy chapter two, verse two. This sounds very similar. He says in verse one, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then what does he say? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This would be no different in a modern context of somebody who faithfully exposited the scripture and as a pastor, I went to a younger pastor and I said, emulate their teaching and their practice. That wouldn't be a statement to elevate what those men say above scripture. It would be an encouragement for the younger pastor to make sure he follows teaching that's in accordance with what God has revealed. So, so I think that that's, that's incredibly important for us. Because as Christians, even though today you may be like, well, I'm not a minister, but the heart of God towards his people is to follow the pattern of the sound words that God has given us. But he keeps going here. I, um, there's so much we could look at to show the equivalence between what was taught and what was written. You know, again, you know, what does he do? Uh, he points him to the scripture in 2 Timothy 3.14. And, and when he comes out of that section in verse 16 and 17 where he says, Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, he turns right around and he tells Timothy, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And so one of the ways that we can apply this is that we must measure everything that is taught by the word of God. We must measure it to see if these things are so. We must have the same spirit of the Bereans who heard the word and examined the word to see if the word actually taught it. Why? Because apart from God revealing himself in the canon, we have no standard that we can for sure measure all teaching. So we must measure what is taught by the word of God that he is, has given that equips us for every good work. So, but how is Timothy to do this? This is, this is amazing. He says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, 
you get the sense that he's saying, Timothy, know the truth, share the truth, defend the truth, follow the pattern, be consistent with what I've taught you, be faithful in what I've taught you, teach according to the word of God, but, but Timothy, do it in a spirit of faith and love. There's a lot of people that will tell you the truth, but they'll be madder than a hornet while they do it. Now, I understand that there can be a prophetic sense of a righteous anger. I'm not speaking of that. I'm talking about a fleshly anger. And that's not of God. That when we live our behavior, it either is, it has the fabric of, and the, of the love in the garment that we're wearing or, it, or it's absent. And he's saying, Timothy, look, there's going to have to be a boldness in your life, and there's going to have to be this, this strong principled fact that you're going to be unashamed. But as you do this, according to the standard that God has set, make sure you do it in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he's pointing him to follow the pattern. How do we follow the pattern of sound words? How do we guard the good deposit? One, we have to be people of the book. We have to know the scripture. We have to defend the scripture. We're, but we're also not just called to know the scripture. We're called to live the scripture. We're called to live according to what God's word says. It's sort of like, uh, you know how uh, when you're, you watch an orchestra, I remember uh, when I went to my junior or senior year, when I went to Macaulay in Chattanooga, it was an all-boys school, and the assemblies were funny sometimes because it's a bunch of guys. And uh, Macaulay, uh, they, they, they'd have all these sort of big deal things they thought were big deal. And they'd bring in, and they brought in this big orchestra. And you know how it's never really pretty to hear an orchestra warm up? Well, they were warming up, and at the end of their warm-up, everyone gave them a standing ovation. And the headmaster was Spencer Macaulay, and he was not happy. And we had to come back at the end of the day, and he told us how immature that was because they were just warming up, and we acted like that was their performance. But, you know, when they're warming up, there can be some awful noises in there. And I think about what Paul said in, in Corinthians, uh, you know, like, if I have not love, I'm like what? You remember the words? I'm like a clanging cymbal. And, and, and we got to remember that. Don't be so... Focused simply on knowing the truth that you forget it's the truth that leads to sound living. Sound doctrine leads to sound living, and sound living manifests the resurrection power of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And, and, and you go back to this, and he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here we go. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy, there's been a good deposit that you've been entrusted with. By the power of the Spirit, you guard it. You guard it with all the ability you have in Christ. I remember uh, I always was... Uh, on trips growing up, I was the kid that, I know this will shock you. I remember the first time I went out of the country, uh, we had to have, we didn't have to have a passport. We had to have our birth certificate. I was like 13. 
and we, well, I was with a group, and they were announcing on the plane, who is Stephen Barber? I left my birth certificate, like, on the floor uh, on the plane. And so when I would go anywhere, they were always like, please give that. And there would be some wonderful mom with maternal instincts that was always assigned to me. <laughs> and she would carry all of the stuff that mattered. And, and I want you to think, so, so imagine... Uh, Somebody gives you something to keep. They give you something to hold that's important. We would go to youth camp sometimes, and one year I was at a camp where the kids were, you know, the younger kids, like four to six graders, the, the, the best, you know, four to six. I mean, amazing. And uh, it's Will's crew. It's Will, Milam, and Rob's crew, right? And, and imagine, like, we're at a snack bar situation, and they go to camp, they're away from home, and they've got spending money, and we have candy bars at night, and they've got cash. It's not a good setup, is it? Because you're thinking they're going to go through that money quicker. They're going to burn a hole in their pocket than that money. Well, we would say, all right, give us your money, and we'll hold your deposit. And we've got a record of how much money you've got in the bank. And you come to the canteen or whatever you call it at night, and you're going to buy stuff, and we're going to take it out of your account. If you give your money to somebody, if you give important documents to somebody, if you give that which is important, you are intending for them to keep it. Thanks be to God in the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ that that which we've entrusted to him, he's faithful to keep it to the very end. But, but there's another part of this. If it were up to us, we could never keep that which God entrusted to us. But notice the language here that he gives. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. Timothy, be reminded of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, that he will be faithful to you even as I command you to guard the good deposit. What's the good deposit? The good deposit is the sound words. The good deposit is God's revelation. The good deposit is that which God has given us to guard, the deposit that's been entrusted to us. And he's called to guard it faithfully, to watch, to guard, to keep. It's, um, I love this uh, statement here. One commentary said, therefore, just as God has power to guard what we've entrusted to him, he also gives us power to guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which he has entrusted to us. If you realize the value of the treasure that you have, you, you walk a little bit different than you normally do. You know, I, I may have some change in my pocket. I don't right now. But a lot of times I'm notorious at the end of the day, I take whatever's out of my pocket and just put it wherever. And there's change all over the house because I usually am not valuing the 18 cents that's in my pocket. But years ago, I'm not going to tell you specifics, but years ago there, there was a unique situation that happened. Somebody had passed away, and I, I got a knock on the door at the church, and somebody came in, a lawyer came in, and a lawyer asked to speak to me, 
And the lawyer was accompanied by a relative of this individual. And this individual who was now deceased had left something for the church. And it was a large check. And I took possession of that check, and I was a nervous wreck. Why? I had to get it where it needed to go. Why? Because I now didn't have 18 cents in my pocket. I had a large amount of money on my possession. If you understand the value of what has been entrusted to you, it changes the way you look at this. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. I love this. And I want to leave you with this this morning. What does it look like to guard the deposit entrusted to us? I, I, I was reading Stephen Cole here, and, and I think there was observations that were clearly obvious from the passage, but he helped me to put these all together. The first one, we guard it by holding the sound doctrine. By holding the sound doctrine. Be a pe- be, let us be people of the book. If we can't recognize false gospels, how are we going to be people of the book? You know, uh, I joke with people, but isn't it amazing how whatever we love, we know? I, I grew up, and when I was 13, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a car, obviously, and, and there wasn't the Internet, and, and I watched college basketball every time it was on. And there was a day in my life that I could have given you the starting five of every top 20 team in America. And it would have been as simple as any kind of conversation ever. We, we know what we love. Let us be people who know the book. Let us be people that can detect error. Let us be people that have such a heartbeat for the preciousness of the gospel that we guard it and we hold fast to it. And anything that seems to come against the purity of that which is by grace through faith alone and Christ alone, we detect the error of it immediately. Let us be people who know it, who love it, who meditate on it. We guard it by holding to it. But we also guard it, not just by holding to it, but by living it. We guard it by living a life of dependence and faithful, faith-filled obedience in the word. And what happens is our lives are marked by faith and love. But then as we look at in verse 14, we guard it not just by holding the sound doctrine, not just by living a godly life, but we guard it by walking in the Spirit. We got, remember, like that, that term can be used by a lot of people to mean a lot of different things, but, but I would challenge you read Ephesians 5 18 side by side with Colossians 3 16. And I think Colossians 3.16 gives us the purest understanding of what it means to walk in the Spirit of God. And he says in Colossians 3.16, Paul writes, he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here's what's amazing. As we learn to become people of the book, as we come to the book in a sense of worship, not just for knowledge, but to love God and to worship God, 
as we submit to the very word that we're learning, what happens? The Spirit produces faith and love in our life. And the Spirit does what? The Spirit gives us the grace to guard the good deposit entrusted to us to be faithful in our lives as Christians. So this morning, a lot of reminders so far. Remember your faith, Timothy. Remember your gift. Remember his resources. Remember his purpose. Timothy, remember his faithfulness. And remember, Timothy, the sound words. Don't ever depart from them. Would you bow your head? God, we thank you for your truth. I pray that as we seek to live according to your word, we would see the relevance and how practical this is to our day right now. I pray we'd be shaped by your truth and that we would we would live it, we would study it, we would share it, we would defend it. We do it in love and out of faith, but we do it according to the power of your spirit. Thank you for your servant, Paul. Thank you for your servant, Timothy. Thank you that we have so much in common with them because we've been given every spiritual blessing through your son. And today that we are indwelt with the same Holy Spirit that they were indwelt with. And I pray that we would live and take this seriously. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name.